Hi, I'm Amy Blackthorne, and this is Blackthorne Grove. Hello, and welcome to the Blackthorne Grove. My name is Amy Blackthorne. Today, I'd like to share with you a, an excerpt from my forthcoming book, Blackthorne's Botanical Brews. It comes out October 5th, 2020, and it discusses potions in depth we're going to talk about how to create them, what constitutes a potion, and there's lots of fun projects you can do at home. Things like making syrups, creating your own cocktails, and lots, lots more. Chapter 1, Introduction. Some people have been fascinated with the ideas of bubbling cauldrons full of magical brews since time immemorial. When someone says witch, we conjure up images of women Crone, mother, maiden, standing over bubbling vats of mysterious liquids, said to contain the power of the elements and life itself. However, most books won't touch the subject of potions for fear of allergies, lawsuits, and unintentional poisonings. This book was written to address the subject head-on by teaching you, dear reader, not only what potions are, but what purposes they serve and how to create these brews. What is a potion? simply a drink, a drink reputed to have magical powers and may be medicinal, and they were sometimes poisonous. After all, what is the difference between medicine and poison? Dosage. What are some culturally acceptable toxins? Beer, wine, and other alcoholic beverages, cigars and cigarettes. One beer has a euphoric effect, and many more create a depressive state. Too many drinks and one can risk alcohol poisoning. Then there's the magical effect. Each beverage is designed to encourage a different state. Love potions can create an aphrodisiac effect, while healing tonics contain soothing plants. The magic comes not only from knowing how to prepare each item, but also through imbuing it with our own love and energy to make it magical. Mom's chicken noodle soup just isn't the same when we make it. I'd like to think the thing that's missing is the loving feelings that mom would put into it. Take a drink and make it a potion. We need that extra step. Are you for real? I know the idea of magic can feel odd if you haven't worked with it before. It sounds like something out of a science fiction fantasy novel. It's a common belief that since energy can neither be created nor destroyed, that spells are merely changing the form of that energy. For instance, if I need money, I might burn a green candle. The energy I raise, along with the flame of the candle, provide fuel to create those changes in circumstances. We are changing the energy of that candle into the energy of prosperity. Do you need a candle? No. It is pretty helpful, though, especially when you're first starting out. It gives you something to focus on, a mental touchstone to remind yourself that you're working on something. So you do spells. What kind of things can spells do? It's a common to hear magical practitioners liken spells to enacted prayers, but it can be misleading. Prayers reach out to the divine. Magic can be used with or without a connection to any deity. Magic is directing energy. If you decide to ask for help from a creator to help them lead it, that's up to you. But it isn't necessary. What is necessary is your belief. That's 90 plus percent of the fuel it needs to be successful. The number one killer of all magic is doubt. If you doubt your spells, intentions, or work, that's when magic starts to fail. What about God? What about him, her, it, them? Do wishes worship God? Some do. 
If you have, if you name a mythology or a pantheon, there are likely still people alive today worshiping them. The old gods are still just as much a part of our lives as the witches in which they always were. Hecate, Briad, Diana, Kali, Inanna, they're all alive and well and being worshipped in homes all around the world. There are Christian witches. There are witches who follow one god or entire pantheons. There are even atheistic and non-theistic practitioners. The long and short of it is, is if you love a witch, ask them what they believe. Asking their spouse, their mom, their brother, or their cousin isn't going to give you the whole picture. Why is that? Magic is a system, not a religion. Having a witchcraft practice is a very personal thing. Does magic work? Absolutely. If it didn't, I wouldn't have spent nearly almost 30 years on it. Visit the glitter and wind chimes of TV that makes it out to be. You don't say a rhyming couplet or a magic word and have everything you ever wanted. Shocking, I know. To many, magic is a focused intent that brings energy to a needed goal. For some, it could be that our focus reminds us to act in the real world to get what we want. Heck, it could be 1% placebo effect, but honestly, it just works. As a young woman at my first real job, I had a coworker who figured out that my car was the beater in the parking lot with the witch's heel bumper sticker on it. He, a 50-something man in another department, old enough to have outgrown this infantile behavior if he was going to, teased me relentlessly about it. One, way he, one day he ran into me at the county fair while I was selling handmade soaps and spell oils. He gave me an awkward hi while his wife brought my prosperity oil. I explained to her how to use it, and I bid them farewell. I saw him nearly a week later coming back to the fair for another bottle of that same oil. There's no way she could have used all of it unless she dumped it out or shattered the bottle. He sheepishly came up to me. Can I buy another bottle of that oil? I looked up at him from my chair. Certainly. I see your wife liked it. That was pretty fast for a bottle that size. She used it just like you said, and we won some money on the lottery the next day. I'm supposed to come and get more oil and then go buy more lottery tickets, Gila replied. Guess who never gave me a hard time about magic ever again? Basics of magic. Grounding and centering. Pick up most books on magic and you'll hear the phrase ground and center. Well, is it on the ground or is it in your center? Actually, it's a little bit of both. Centering is the practice of mentally gathering all of your scattered energies throughout your body and consciously bringing them into your center, somewhere between your belly button and your diaphragm. Grounding is the process whereby we visualize a connection to the earth where we can draw up energies into our bodies or send down excess energy. And what does that do? It can calm an anxious mind. We can send the frenzied energy down into the earth where it can be more efficiently utilized. We can draw strength into our bodies when we need it. So how do we do all that? Meditation. It isn't what you usually think when you hear the word. It's not nothingness. There is guided meditation where you picture certain things happening and it shows an effect within the body. One of the most popular ways is to imagine you're a tree, that your toes and your are roots wiggling down into the dirt, and that your arms, hands, and fingers are branches reaching up towards the sun. The most important part of this process is breathing. If you stop breathing, you die. What we know is that breathing, as we move throughout our day, the difference lies in intentional, mindful breath. It involves taking slow, deep breaths through the nose and out through the mouth. This is the breath that pushes your belly out rather than raising your chest 
when we push when we rush around our busy daily lives we usually are in the top of our lungs breathing using an average of the top 10% of our lung capacity so how do you meditate number 1 stop what you're doing number 2 understand that it's going to feel weird or awkward doing nothing for a few minutes it's likely that your brain will tell you you have better things to be doing right now you don't those tasks will still be there in the 2 minutes once you're done having a breath it reduces stress, it helps clear your mind, and it makes it easier for your brain to access all of the creativity and information stored in your brain. Number three, breathe slowly in through your nose and out through your mouth for at least four breaths. Try to breathe out longer than your slow inhale, and you might yawn. That's okay. Your body isn't used to getting that much oxygen, and just trying to make sure it's not a trick. Number four, when you're breathing mindfully, don't worry about the groceries or work or the dishes. Instead, picture your toes wiggling down to the cool, dark earth. Connect your breath with the planet. Practice pushing energy down into the ground and bringing it back up with every inhale you take. Send out on the exhale. Pull in on the inhale. You can do this whether or not you put your toes on the literal dirt. You can do this at 30,000 feet in an airplane. The relative distance to the earth is not what matters. It's maintaining that mental connection. Number five. Once you're ready to stop, remember to keep a little bit of energy in the center of your being for yourself. If you feel a little tired afterward, you didn't save enough. You can reconnect at any time to receive a little more. Does this hurt the planet? No. It's more immense that we as individuals can comprehend. We also like to send a little bit of that energy into the earth whenever we choose. Directing energy. Once you have the practice of the ebb and flow of energy in your body down pat, then it's time to work on manipulating it. Connect to the earth and bring some energy up into the center of your person. Now send it out down your palms. Your palms may start to tingle, almost like when you get goosebumps on your arms. You can shape that energy into a ball. You can choose the size of the ball and the shape. You can change this through your will. Just visualize it. When you can easily create a ball of energy between your palms, change it. Try picturing your favorite fruit. The image should be right on the edge of your mind, along with its scent, color, and size. This energy can be sent out to the universe, as well as brought back into yourself. You can push that ball of energy into a candle to help you manifest your desires. That ball of energy can be various colors to help you accomplish your goals. But once you gain practice moving energy in this way, there really isn't much you can't do with it. In this book, within these pages, we'll discuss the tools needed to create potions and magical brews. You'll discover methods for making bitters and crafting your own magical vermouth, as well as techniques for brewing your own kombucha, beers, and soda flavorings from scratch as well as everything from crafting drinks with strawberries for happiness and joy to adding magic to your morning coffee or tea. Your morning ritual can be a ritual. There are these things that set the tone for our day, and if skipped, it might feel as though we were missing something for the rest of our day. Give yourself permission to enjoy the things you will be doing anyway. This book is for you, whether you're a barista, a bartender, or a mom just looking to add fruits and veggies to their kids' daily routine. Wherever you are, you don't have to know anything about magic. You just need an open mind, a taste for an adventure, and the occasional pun. 
There are chapters on creating your own magical tea recipes with real teas, not dusty, hard-to-find herbs. We'll be creating the perfect cocktails for Samhain, the full moon, or just Sunday. These are the tricks to designing your own signature cocktails for parties, a kitchen chapter that contains brews for health, home, and hearth, as well as for fun. Understanding the magic of fermentation, maceration, and infusion sees us help to know where the magic comes from and how to live our best lives with an enchanting flair. So come with me to discover the world of magical ingredients disguised as the produce section of your local grocery store, as well as the magician's tools you're likely to find in the kitchen drawer. Let's make some magic together. Remember, magic is powered by belief, and I believe in you. Chapter 2. What makes it magical? The first topic up for discussion should be, what is magic? The great thing is you already know the answer. You've probably seen movies about magic, read fairy tales, or watched them on television. These stories are full of magical potions, witches, and the spoken word. The magic is less frequently spoken about, but no less real, and that is the magic of being. Defining magic. Magic is the pitter patter of your heart when you see someone that catches your fancy. It's the butterflies in your stomach that give you a thrill when your loved ones are near. Magic is the hair standing on end warning you something is about to happen. These things can be explained away with biological reasoning, but that makes them no less magical. Fantasy author, author Arthur C. Clarke's third law states, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Magic is just the name for things that science hasn't understood yet, but that doesn't make them any less real. Whether we're journeying within ourselves to follow the link between ourselves and our environment, or we're altering our consciousness to reach other planes, the only difference is the destination. They both deal in the realm of the possible. Place your hand on your heart. That pulse that you feel under your hand, the love dub of the chambers working, usually in concert, is one of the hallmarks of life. Life implies biological processes, and in humans, they start with these electrical impulses. As much as we understand those biological processes and the human body, even surgeons admit they don't really comprehend what makes the heart beat or what causes this complex machine to stop working. Witches do. It's magic, plain and simple, while also being terrifyingly complex. Art and science. When asking a witch what magic is, one is likely to get several mixed answers. The most common is Aleister Crowley's definition, which with resonates with me. Magic is the art and science of creating change in accordance with will. That is a lot of information to take in. Crowley didn't just put art and science in there by mistake. The art of magic is entirely separate from the science of magic. But the art of magic is the difference between a painting by one of the masters and a paint-by-numbers copy. Creating magic has art involved, in the same way painting does. Anyone can paint and have fun with it, just as anyone can create a rhyming couplet. Yes, anyone. Signed languages have as much art and poetry as any spoken word. What makes the difference between a rhyming couplet and magic is the spirit of the person reciting them. I've been asked in untold number of interviews if the spells cast in popular witchcraft media like Charmed are real. That's a double-edged sword. Are they magic? Not yet, no. But they could be, soon. Magic requires thought and intention, 
among other things. Saying the words isn't enough. We have to really put thought and intent into them. When my niece E came to me sometime around eight years old, asking if Santa Claus was real, yes, was my immediate response. Now I wasn't humoring her. I'd promised that I'd always be honest with her, and I was. There's a concept known in magical circles as egregore, and egregore is a thought form, a thought form that has been thought of by so many people for so many years, but with such a varied population that it becomes its own autonomous entity. The idea that Santa has been thought of for long enough to become a true spirit of Christmas. He may not occupy a physical space on our plane, but he exists in spirit. Magical spells exist in popular culture. They could be used in spells by witches, but just because it's on television doesn't make it real. Witches aren't battling demons weekly, and you won't find the potions from the world of Charmed within these pages. The only real thing in pop culture magic is usually the dry ice. Magic should make you feel something. You should feel something before you start a spell, while working it, and after you've finished. If there's no feeling attached, there can be no magic. I'm not suggesting you experience an extreme passion to work practical magic, but there needs to be something to tap into. If you don't care enough about the issue, it's like a chocolate bunny in the spring. It looks nice, but it's hollow. We can be passionate about a subject without being hysterical. Science and Magic Some feel that the science and magic are antithetical, but scientists make great witches. In a good way, both witches and scientists use the scientific method. For those of you who are a little rusty, the scientific method is a generally agreed-upon set of procedures in investigating anything related to science. The seven steps of the scientific method. Step one, pose your question. This is the thing you want to know, the problem or the question you want to answer. Does gravity work? Step two, design and conduct research. Step one, I will drop something. Step three, form your hypothesis. I think it will fall. Step four, experiment, testing your hypothesis. Drop several things, record your observations. Step five, make observations based on the data you collect during these experiments. Everything that was dropped eventually wound up on the floor. Different rates of descent, but they all landed. Step six, use your results to form your conclusion. Does your experiment support your hypothesis? Conclusion, I'm pretty sure gravity works. Step seven, communicate with others in your field and out. Present your findings. Attempt to, re to replicate your results. Tell peers that you think gravity works. Keep dropping things and recording your notes. The seven steps of the witchcraft method. Step one, state your need. This could be a spell, a small part of a more extensive ritual incorporating many elements of ritual, including candles, quarter calls, or the like. Money is okay, but the results are obtained for more specific intention. I need money for a new car. Whenever possible, state the need in the positive rather than the negative. I don't have money for a new car isn't as magically effective as I need money for a new car. The theory is that our minds don't grasp the negative words when doing magic so that it can impact the working. The best wording, however, is I have money for a new car. You're acting as though the goal has already been attained. It leaves room in the universe to provide what you need or something better. Step two, conduct research. You'll need correspondences for the stated need, 
plants associated with prosperity or stones for money and the like. Write them all out first, then narrow down your focus from there. The reason for this method is twofold. It makes it easier to see patterns, and it's been proven that we retain more information when it's handwritten rather than typed. Hint, use blue ink for your memory boost. It's different from the black typeface, so it stands out in your mind for easier recall. Step three, write your spell or ritual. First, decide how complicated this working should be. Is this a simple issue with a simple solution? Or is this a complicated matter that requires an in-depth ritual built on the power needed? Step four, do the thing. The minute you decide a spell needs to happen in step one, the clock starts ticking. Every moment you spend researching materials, choosing the working, shopping for materials, and all of that is energy that goes towards the intended outcome. The more power, the more likely the intended result. Step five, make observations. The data you collect during and after the spell gets recorded in your book of shadows, just like a scientist would. A week later, I won the office birthday pool for Sally's new baby. Or 13 days later and no results. Even if your spell doesn't work, it can be illuminating to look at the potential reasons why. Perhaps you look at the time the working started and find the moon was void, of course, or between signs. That can muddy the magical waters, so try not to do magical workings when the moon is between signs. Your magical calendar or ephemeris might be marked moon V slash C 6.04 p.m. Step six, use your results to form a conclusion. In your intention, if it comes to pass the way it was designed, great. I'm happy for you. If it didn't, many factors could have contributed to the failure of a ritual. Before you declare it null, wait at least a full lunar cycle, 28 days for the intention to come to pass. You didn't want to wait to decide that it's failed before it has had a chance to work. Some of the reasons for failure can include doubt. It's the killer of all magic. The fastest way to make sure your magic won't come to pass is to doubt that it will. The power comes from you, not the candles, not the incense, not the chance. If you think you don't have the oomph needed, don't doubt, work it out. Lack of power. When casting your intention, putting your spell out into the ether, you have to feel it in your bones. It feels like you're reciting your phone number to a telemarketer. You're probably not going to get the desired results. Sound off like you mean it. Simply meeting it, stop and take stock as to whether this is something you really want. If it could be the reason that the workable amount of energy can't be raised is because this this desire, this isn't a sincere desire. Patience. It takes time for magic to work. Sometimes it takes more than you're working to work right away. That happens less often than you might think and frequently after a lot of practice. Magic is a skill. No matter how many witches you see in movies and television, discover they're magical, and within two minutes, they know everything about spells and are calling everyone mundanes. By the way, that's not a thing. As much as we enjoy our witchy friends, community, and festivals, there is no mundane world. We get one world. You gotta take your magic with you. Take a deep breath and know your intention is working. Shoddy scholarship. There's a reason that witches and even fairy tale wizards are associated with books. Knowledge is power. And without the know-how, your magic isn't going to get any wind in its sails. Take the time to do the research needed to feel supported and fulfilled in your magical endeavors. After all, you're building your magical intent and your brain. Lack of focus. If your magic doesn't have a specific outcome, 
it scatters your attention and therefore your intention. If your original plan is money for a new car and mid spell, you start thinking about how nice it would be to have some new clothes, but then you'd have to work more hours to pay for the clothes. And I really should get a new job. I'm miserable here. My boss is a jerk. And do you see how it could take the fire out of a spell? Concentrate while you're working and find a friend to vent to later. The same goes for trying to cast a spell in a house full of people or in a messy room. All of these things can scatter your focus. Too many cooks in the kitchen. I'll be the first to tell you that working magic with friends and loved ones is fun. It can bring people together in an excellent way to bond. P.S. No matter how cool sex magic sounds, don't engage with a partner who's unaware of what you're doing. Consent is essential. That aside, bringing a friend, a loved one, or a partner into your magical practice should be done carefully, if at all. The idea of a coven sounds scintillating and neat. However, having a new practitioner who may or may not have a clear picture of what to do or how to do it can break down that building energy. Not to mention, if your spell is for a new car and your BFF thinks you need a sensible older model to pay down your debt, it can break down the momentum that you're trying to gain with all your research. If you want to practice with magical friends, keep it simple and make sure everyone is on the same page. Volatile emotions. If you're too upset to drive or crying too hard to talk, those emotions can hinder your magical practice. I'm not talking about mental health either. Telling people they have to be 100% mentally healthy before someone will love them is harmful and ableist. I'm saying give yourself time to collect your thoughts and your feelings, wipe the tears away, ground yourself, and it makes for a more focused intent. Also, trying to work magic when emotional can lead us to overextend our energy and feel drained and unfocused later. By properly grounding before spell work, we can ensure that you're connected to the earth and a well of energy. Step seven, communicate, present, or share your results and replicate. When communicating the results of a spell, await for the full results. A full 28 days before declaring it a failure. Spell work takes time. Even if it seems like it worked, maybe there's some more benefit coming down the pipe. The Witch's Pyramid says to know, to will, to dare, and to keep silent. Exclaiming to the circle of friends that you've completed the coolest spell ever isn't the best idea. It can introduce doubt into the spell from outsiders, from yourself if they aren't 100% supportive, or from magical practitioner friends who don't see the outcome the same way you do. So wait a bit before declaring you're the best witch in all of history, okay? Unintended complications from magic can happen. For example, you needed cash, but after the money came in, an unexpected bill came up, and you're, now you're still out money. Perhaps, in addition to keeping the material records, you want to start an online journal, a blog, or even a channel to speak to other witches that, if you don't know anyone. If you think that way, I guarantee there are thousands of others like you who will feel isolated and could benefit from your experiences. Making magic. Unfortunately, all of this nebulous talk doesn't really shine a light on how magic gets made. There's a disconnect in the brain and the heart when it comes to making magic happen. It comes from watching magic on TV and reading about it in books. New witches see fictional characters reciting magic words, and bam! There's some sparkly spectral effects that tell us the magic has happened and something amazing is going to result. In real life, we don't get to light cues or faint wind chimes to let us know our spell was effective. What is this televised visual method leaves out is the hair-raising knowing that comes with magic. The tingle in your palms that says the energy was raised, and you can have all the aesthetics right, 
and still not raise any energy. Ritual theater, the costumes, masks, robes, and the like, will only get you so far. A notion on curses, hexes, and jinxes. In this age of love and light, it's important to remind readers that there anything, any living thing exposed to light and only light, all day and all night, will shrivel and die. Living things need rest. Nature needs balance. Without light, there is no darkness. Plant a seed, and it's in the dark. Darkness does not mean badness. The idea comes from a racist heritage and needs to be corrected. White does not equal good. Black does not equal bad. And telling people that standing up for themselves and refusing to accept abuse makes them wrong enables abuse. No one deserves to be abused, ever. If magic is agency, then hexes and bane work are the available recourse for wrongs done. It's not our job to heal our abusers. P.S. Karma doesn't apply here either. Karma is a concept that belongs to Buddhism and Hinduism and applies across lifetimes for the next lifetime. Karma has nothing to do with being cut off in traffic or even spellcasting. The rule of three that is lauded as the be-all, end-all is mostly misunderstood. It's not a universal law. It doesn't even apply to all Wiccans. The rule of three isn't some magical multiplication table designed to make us feel bad or punish wrongdoers. If that were the case, there would be fewer wrongdoers and a lot more abusers in prison. What this principle refers to is the effect on our magic has on our mind, our body, and our spirit. What that means is that if you feel wrong about a spell that you've cast, if there's guilt that weighing on your conscience, you might get stomach cramps or some other physical sign. You might feel cruddy about yourself. If you're feeling guilty, you can remediate the spell that you've done as best you can. This does not mean three bad things are going to happen to you because you're a terrible person. If you aren't feeling guilty, none of those things happen. Poet Victor Anderson and founder of the fairy tradition of witchcraft once said, white magic is poetry. Black magic is anything that actually works. While I've already explained this is a false dichotomy and hurtful to people of color, it's worth stating that magic that works affects by definition. Good and evil are sub subjective. Doing a job spell to get work because you've been out of a job is great, right? I'll be able to pay my bills and contribute financially. But if you get that job, if someone or several someones also have costs that didn't get it, you want to ease the suffering of a friend with a terminal cancer, but prolonging their suffering is cruel. Cursing child molesters so they are caught and incarcerated means that they can't harm children while locked away. These are all things we need to think about when discussing our magical intent. Good vibes are a nice thought, but intention doesn't always count as much as we think it should. The most popular metaphor for this is dropping a plate on the floor and having a shatter. Apologizing to the plate is not going to magically repair the damage done. The plate isn't showered in a rain of glitter that makes it all better the way TV makes it seem. Everyone messes up sometimes. Words hurt. Own up to it and apologize with feeling and conviction. The hardest part of apologizing is knowing that no one is obligated to forgive us for our wrongdoing. It's scary because it makes us vulnerable. But that doesn't mean that we don't owe it to ourselves to be the best person we can be, whether or not someone is there to absolve you of your guilt. Oh, goodness. I could really get into reading a little bit more of this for my fabulous friends in the internal net. I will probably read another excerpt between now and the release date, October 5th, 2020. You can read the rest of this fantastic 
preview at tinyurl.com slash Blackthorns Botanical Magic. Oh, I'm sorry, Blackthorns Botanical Drews. <laughs> Obviously, the Blackthorns Botanical Magic excerpt is at the other link. I'll put it in the message notes so you can make sure that you find it just right. I just really wanted to take a minute to spend with you and enjoy doing so. If you have any questions, if you want me to read another excerpt later, or you have questions about magical practice in general, feel free to shoot us a message. And I hope to see you next time. Have a great day. Bye.